Welcome back, everyone. Here is part two of today's episode, and this is our last episode for this season. We have some great plans for the next season and a few surprises on the way with a potential podcast collaboration with a few other great medical education podcasts. So we'll have more information to update you on soon. Have a great rest of your summer, and we will see you back shortly. Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. It's interesting. I know we have to be careful when we're talking about different treatments and medications. On the one hand, you hear the argument that big pharma controls everything, so you can't trust, but then you also can take that too far and not trust actual legitimate treatments. Absolutely. And then you can also say, well, we have this over here and you just don't hear about it because the money behind everything is, you know, keeping this from mainstream. But then you take that too far and you have BS treatments, which We've seen so much of this past year and stuff, especially with COVID. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I love Dr. Fauci. I really do. Whether you're, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that if these people who are listening want to be or are physicians, they're also scientists. Okay. Science is ever evolving. The one thing you need to know is you will never have all the answers. I do not have all the answers. I have more answers than a lot of people. I mean, I've had people come to me who have been failed by the Cleveland Clinic, which really bothers me because the Cleveland Clinic started out as an osteopathic institution. The Mayo Clinic, they've been failed by them. And I'm in Michigan, so I get people from University of Michigan, which is just, you know, it's a wonderful research institute. It is a very, very well-respected MD school. But I get these people and I can fix them. Why can I fix them? Because my approach is different. But when we start talking about, and you, again, this is, we we could go on for hours about why the research either is not accepted, is not paid for, or is bad. And I'm going to give you a really fine example of this last one. Osteopathic research that is not good. There's excellent osteopathic research, but they tend to be very small, essentially pilot studies because the funding is not there. But I had a talk with an osteopath. The United States, we are the only osteopaths that are also full-fledged physicians. I have done surgeries. I you know, have been able to uh, prescribe medicines, I, all that stuff. I choose not to because I have better ways. But I love having that perspective because if I get a person in that I know I cannot help, I know where to send them. And I do not have qualms about sending them if it's for surgery or or something along those lines. If I see that they've got clinically correlated osteoarthritis that is impinging a nerve, and there is no way in the world I'm going to be able to release that nerve, I'm going to send them for a laminectomy because that's the only way they're going to get better. The problem is that that laminectomy is used way too often for things that it's not really strongly clinically correlated with. Yep, that can happen. (laughs) Right. But that's why it's nice to be a full-fledged physician. But I had a discussion with an osteopath 
who was from uh, Scotland. They're not physicians. And it took me forever to realize that no matter what, if I was talking science, he wasn't going to agree with me. So a lot of osteopathic research or research done under the osteopathic umbrella, especially overseas, some of it is just not done to what I would consider to be good scientific standard. That which is done here in the U.S. is, but we don't get much in the way of funding. But I'm going to give you a beautiful example of how we end up with some bad information. If you go to the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, and you look up studies on osteopathic manipulation, almost invariably, you will find out the conclusion of the study. Let's say we're talking about back pain, low back pain. Osteopathic manipulation is as good as MD treatment, meaning watch and wait or injections and steroids, by the way, you mentioned those, they're a no-no. We, we could go into that as well. They do more damage than they do good and they don't really, studies have shown, and this you will find in MD literature all over the place. They've shown that especially in chronic cases, there is no place for steroid injections. They actually cause bone and cartilage and connective tissue degradation, which leads to further osteoarthritis and wear and tear. That's the long and short of it right there. But if you have something that says it's only as good as, osteopathic manipulation is only as good as MD medicine, why would anybody bother learning it? What I tried to get across to them is you need to have better inclusion and exclusion criteria when designing your study. If a person comes in with low back pain, you don't want to take every single person with low back pain and group them into two groups, osteopathic manipulation or not osteopathic manipulation. You want to know what is the likely cause. So you're going to do appropriate studies. You're going to find out, do they in fact have a herniated disc? Do they in fact have a pinched nerve due to uh, osteoarthritic change? Do they in fact simply have worn cartilage? It's going to inform your decision about what type of treatment and whether or not manipulation is likely to be helpful. If you find none of the above on any of your studies, then you say, we're gonna break that into two groups, manipulation, not manipulation. You will find the manipulation group will do much better than the non-manipulation group because you've ruled out organic, visible, otherwise treatable causes. So we need better studies so that it doesn't say it's as good as. If it's used properly, it's better in both the short term and the long term. They always say long term, they come out the same. Well, yes, but not for the reasons that people think. Whereas within the first few weeks, I might literally cure someone of the cause of their pain. If you don't cure them, a huge percentage of those people will still feel better, but they will not be cured. They may be walking bent over. Their body has gotten used to the pain. It has learned to accommodate by twisting or turning. And they may look like this and walk around all bent over, but they're not hurting. So when you do the six months or 12 months down the road, you say, oh, they're not hurting. And the people who are standing up straight after manipulation and totally functional, well, they both have basically zero pain. Which one would you prefer to be? Yeah, I think the funding aspect is extremely important, not just for pain treatment and management, but 
And we see this with nutrition, we see this with meditation and other types of therapies where, yes, there is little to no interest in those with the money to spend it on those particular topics. So we're often left with subpar research, and then it adds to the skepticism of the entire field. So it's just, it's a complicated problem, I guess. Did you know you can find and schedule your own clinical rotations? Students can reach out to preceptors nationwide and schedule their own rotations. You can even refer a friend, earning you credit towards clinical externships of your choosing. Go to findarotation.com for more information. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. Think about this. Why is PRP, as opposed to prolotherapy, being more strongly investigated? Because to make PRP, you need equipment. The, the kits to make PRP cost roughly $200 just for that. So somebody's going to make money off of it. Then there are machines that they have that are thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to make Centrifuge. <laughs> what More than a centrifuge. There are actual big machines that can do the whole thing for you, but they're tens of thousands of dollars. Or you can just buy a $200 kit for each patient. Or you could use prolotherapy, and to be honest, dextrose is so freaking cheap. There's no money. <laughs> There's no money to be made. So if you're going to invest money in studies, what will you invest it in? PRP, the companies that make those devices and the kits. I don't care at this point because PRP has been shown to work. Great. At least we have that going for it. But that's why money was invested. There was money to be made. Got it. This really should be of bigger concern to the pain management societies, the medical pain societies. It, it is. I mean, I'll be honest. It is. That's why you have the MD organization. I believe it's the American Association of Orthopedic Medicine. They've been wonderful. They are willing to look into and put resources into investigating this stuff but again did they have the resources of a drug company a multi-billion dollar drug company behind them no they don't because when they are successful those particular mds are going to be outcasts <laughs> because they are not part of mainstream does that make them quacks not by any means it just means it's really hard to get this information studied and then to disseminate it ah uh, well that is definitely a confusing problem and something that, you know, everyone faces pain at some point or another. And the longer you last, the more pain you're going to suffer from. So right. it's kind of an important topic, I'd say. I am curious about one more thing before we wrap up. And I know you have a few papers as well on this, and it's just the equivocal efficacy of osteopathic manipulation, but also how that differs from chiropractic adjustment. I'm wondering if you can give a little summation of how that works. Sure. Let me preface this. I have a little saying, and that is, what do you call a person who graduates at the bottom of their MD, osteopathic, or chiropractic class? Still doctor. They're still doctor. <laughs> okay. So you're going to have those regardless. There are bad MDs, bad chiropractors, and there are bad deals. Okay. And I am the first one to admit that. But 
I've known some really fantastic chiropractors. They tend to go outside of their initial training, though. In other words, they not only respect what the MDs can do and work with the MDs, many of them incorporate the techniques that are more common in osteopathic manipulation, soft tissue techniques, techniques to affect nerves. The difference is chiropractors tend to look at, and they're taught in most of their schools, to look at the spine and the, you know, the, just the spine down to the sacrum as being the be all and end all. I've had chiropractors who literally yelled at me, you know, after I wrote this stuff out and they said, I'm not like that. And I said, I am really, really glad to hear that because I know chiropractors who have gone beyond that training and are not hooked on the spine as being the only thing. But their, their training, when they come out of chiropractic, college is still that central area. For an osteopath, being full-fledged physicians, I'm looking at biochemical things. I'm looking at peripheral problems. We talked about the peripheral nerves. I'm looking about, I had a guy, this is just to give you an example. He came in, he had pain on his right rib cage, and I found spasm that just wouldn't let go. And I'm working on them and I'm finally getting it to let go a little bit. But as we're talking, and I tend to talk a lot with my patients, we start talking about, you know, how he got it. Turns out he did manual labor and he had, I'm sorry, it was on the right side of his body and he was left-handed. I thought, well, that's interesting. He said, yeah. And then we started talking. He had hurt his hand, his left hand. And he said, so I haven't been able to lift with that. For like two years. I said, when did your pain on your right side start? He said, let me think. I don't mean close to two years ago. I said, okay, wait a second. So you can't use your hand very well. You're changing your body mechanics and you've done something here. We had to do prolotherapy to fix the ligaments in his hand and the pain over here went away because his body mechanics got better. That's the difference between an osteopathic viewpoint. We did the manipulation on the affected parts. We did manipulation on body parts that were far away. And then we were able to incorporate medicinal or injection therapy. And chiropractors generally don't even go as far as looking at what is the other biomechanical or are the other biomechanical problems. So I did, I wrote, I believe it was on LinkedIn, a long explanation of the differences between it's been viewed 15 16,000 times the osteopathic association picked it up and said do you mind if we reprint this i said by all means <laughs> but that's not to say that there aren't fantastic chiropractors i've gone to them i worked with them but they generally go beyond what they were taught in school as you do this you come to understand that there's more to the body than just spinal mechanics it does seem to be a common statement that I hear from, well, from the chiropractors themselves, but also patients that go to them is, oh, they know just as much as a doctor. They still go to four years of school. And I, yeah, your eyebrows kind of explain my, my thought on it. Yeah. Well, don't, don't get me wrong. They are, as far as I'm concerned, they are physicians. The problem is they stop learning. I didn't learn PIT in school. I didn't learn prolotherapy or PRP in school. I went through a residency program where I learned more hands-on, and that's another thing we didn't get a chance to talk about, but 
there are only a few osteopathic residencies left. That, I mean, that do just manipulative medicine. I went through one of those and I have continued learning. And I told people, I think I got to be an expert after about 25 years because you keep learning. I just gotten the impression that there are a great many doctors of all stripes, including chiropractors, that don't go beyond what they were taught in school. And that doesn't do anyone any good. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap this up. This has been extremely informative. A lot of topics and terminologies that we've never covered before in the show <laughs> that a lot of the audience has probably never heard before. I want to ask if there is any place that the audience might be able to find you. Yeah, actually, they can contact me by email. It's dr.macohn, that's my name, macohn, at America's Pain Detective.com. That's all one word, no apostrophes. America's Pain Detective.com. Great. And we'll add that in the show notes. Well, Dr. Mitchell Cohn, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Pleasure, Chase. Thanks for having me. The Rounds to Residency podcast is powered by Med School Coach. To access Med School Coach services, like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.